0: What was I really thinking that I, uh, of all people, would go on to be a pastor? And I and I sort of decided, no, this is, uh, this can't be for me. <laughs> I was a, I was in a kind of crisis of faith and having a moment of, just sort of reversing what I'd set in motion, when right out in front of me swooped down a big, full plumage bald eagle and began to circle in front of my terrible Chevy Citation with a failing transmission. How does a weary world rejoice? This is the profound question we will sit with throughout this holy season of Advent we now enter into together leading us into the Christmas season. We'll stick with this theme, How Does a Weary World Rejoice? We will be reminded along the way that joy, certainly biblical joy, is not the same thing as happiness. It is something deeper, more resilient, more lasting. Joy can be present alongside Many other emotions and experiences, uh, including grief, among others. I'll come back to this. Joy loves company. Joy gathers community. Joy wants to be shared, to draw others in. Our Advent theme alludes to a line in the beloved Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, so it maybe was reminiscent to you somehow, A Thrill of Hope, The Weary World Rejoices. So we will ask, how? How can a weary world rejoice? I read that in the 1800s, O Holy Night became a popular hymn for Christian abolitionists due to its justice focus language in verse 3, like Mary's song. The hymn reminds us that justice and joy belong together. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. And so this Advent, we will hold space for our weariness and our joy, even if, like the prophet Isaiah, we cry out for comfort in a weary world. We will enter this joy through the scriptures, through the proclamation, through the music of the cantata, through the storytelling of our children. As we move through Advent together, how does a weary world rejoice? We know weariness comes in various ways. We can be weary because of the news we hear and we read day upon day. We can be weary because of our waiting. We can be weary because we have faced the same routine for years and seemingly nothing ever changes, nor do we believe that it will. Our ancient faith stories, our prayers, our liturgies, And our songs all have something to say about this. In troubled times, when the seemingly impossibly good news of a child to be born reaches Zechariah and Elizabeth, who will become the mother of John the Baptist, both she and Zechariah have questions. How will this be, Elizabeth asks. How can I know, Zechariah asks. Imagine the dreams for their lives that they must have started out with together in their young lives. Imagine how in their old age they had settled for something less than all of that. This joy surprises and disrupts the lives they had settled for. They did not make this joy happen. Are you open on this first Sunday of Advent? to God's disruption of the places and ways in your own life that you have settled for something less than joy? Is it possible that even in your weariness, God is inviting you to live into a new story this holy season? And let's be clear at the outset. We are not talking here about choosing joy. As if you could, as Kate Bowler puts it, just white knuckle your way out of weariness and suffering like a great little bootstrapper. No. If joy comes, it is like the gospel itself, it happens to us. I don't get to will my way into joy any more than I can choose my own salvation comes as pure gift. But I can keep an eye out for joy. I can remain open to the possibility of being surprised by joy. No matter where I happen to be standing, no matter what I read or see on the evening news, no matter how weary or full of doubt or uncertainty I may be. About Thirty-five years ago, I've mentioned that I was living in a little shack in Alaska with no running water and no electricity at the time out in the wilderness along the Nanilchik River near the end of the uh, transcontinental highway, the Alcan. I'd graduated from Gustavus, and I'd come to the decision that I would take a year off after college and begin the process of applying for a uh, seminary, Luther Northwestern Seminary is where I would attend, although I'd never seen it. I'd never seen any seminary. So from my little shack there in Alaska, I began that process. Um, so I'd never seen the campus, but what I, what I did see every day up in Alaska were bald eagles soaring along the river, fishing. They've always inspired me, and I never tired nor took it for granted that I was able to see them every day. 35 years ago, uh, you, you might have forgotten because it's so common now, but it was much more rare to see a bald eagle in Minnesota than it is now. I knew there were some in parts of the state, but I personally had not seen one up to that point myself in my home state, though I always kept a lookout. I'll tell you, uh, the same is true for moose, a little bit less of a spiritual animal for me, but still, uh, they exist. I I saw them every day in Alaska, all the time. Uh, One night, in fact, in that little shack, I woke up and the whole shack was shaking and I immediately convinced myself a big bear was ripping boards off trying to get in at me and I had the nerve to take my little flashlight and look out the little window there in the bedroom and on the corner of the shack was a big bull moose using my little cabin to scratch his shoulder and shaking the whole thing. Uh, I love moose. I love to see him. I saw him all the time in Alaska. I've yet to see one in Minnesota. I go on moose hunts when I'm up north. I drive the old logging roads and I'm convinced I will one day. Everybody I know up there has seen one, but not me yet. Well, up to that point i hadn't seen a bald eagle in my home state either and after about a year up there in alaska i returned uh during the summer so it was a couple months before seminary was to start Um, and so i had to kill those months doing something i decided i'd drive up to Brainerd and i would uh go back and work at grandview lodge which i had done every summer leading up to that hang out with friends up there waiting for school to start and i was on my way up there, and I was starting to have some doubts about what I was doing. What, what was I ex- thinking? I mean, what was this life going to be like if I actually went to seminary and got out of it? Uh, what was what was I really thinking that I, uh, of all people, would go on to be a pastor? And I and I sort of decided, no, this is uh, this can't be for me. <laughs> I was I was in a kind of crisis of faith and having a moment of just sort of reversing what I'd set in motion, when right out in front of me swooped down a big full plumage bald eagle and began to circle in front of my terrible Chevy Citation with a failing transmission. (laughs) He was far enough in front of me so that he circled a few times before I passed him on the highway and the you know, the sun hits the head and the tail, so you can be sure you're looking at an eagle and not a, not a vulture. First one I'd ever seen in my home state, and I, I, uh, I saw it as a sign, as a blessing, a surprise joy. In fact, it is entirely possible that I would not be standing in this pulpit nor any other that I've stood in for these past 35 years if not for that moment of inspiration and joy. I have a picture, I was just thinking this this morning in, in my office. I looked up and I have a picture in my office of a bald eagle sitting on an old cut-off uh, utility pole. He has his head bowed, full plumage. You can see the inlet and the mountains behind him. I've always called it the bird of prey because his head is bowed, P-R-A-Y. If you want to go in there, you're welcome to and take a look at it. That moment with that eagle on that day driving to Brainerd, I did not choose. I didn't will it to happen. It happened to me. Uh, Today, I can honestly say that not a week goes by when I don't see a bald eagle. Um, After decades of recovery across the country, I've seen bald eagles circle above Prince of Peace more than once. They come up off the river. And I never tire of it. I hope we can keep an eye out for the grace of God that comes to surprise us wherever we happen to be. Just keep an eye out. There is no place, no matter how dark, that the light of joy cannot seep into. It can and often chooses to coexist even with our grief. It made me think back to the day a couple of years ago when my sisters and my mom were all gathered around my father's hospital bed as we knew he was moving from his pilgrimage on earth to be part of the host of heaven. And as sad as a moment like that is, how we were all so aware of the deep joy and gratefulness of a life that had such impact on all of us on the world and would continue to define who we are. Joy can exist right alongside grief. In Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown talks about how too many people in the world seem to choose not joy, but to choose disappointment in a misguided effort to avoid the feelings of being disappointed. It's confusing, I know. She references to help clarify an interview that she did with a man who later in his life, uh, he, he had always believed that expecting the worst was the best way to live, and so that's what he did. He decided this outlook would keep him prepared for when bad things actually do happen, right? So if you just are always expecting the worst, then when the worst happens, well, at least you were ready for it, right? You were expecting it. And then he shared that when his wife died in a car accident, his his perspective completely changed. Expecting the worst did not prepare him for that loss. And he grieved that so many of his memories with his wife were ones when he was not fully enjoying the moment. He shared that my commitment to her memory is to be fully aware of the value of each moment of life from now on. In an Advent devotional, Kate Bowler writes, Advent is a time marked by waiting. We wait for God to make all things right, for justice to be meted out, for world leaders to make the right decisions, for wrongs to be righted, for our communities to be safe spaces for the vulnerable, for our church to heal and our earth. We wait for our lives to get easier, for us to have the financial security we need, for our relationships to be restored, for our bodies to ache less. We wait for our parents to understand us and for our families to feel whole. We wait for our kids and grandkids to be healed or come back home. We wait for the grief to end but the waiting of Advent is one marked by hope. We wait with expectancy, with anticipation for the inbreaking of God to make all things new. As Barbara Brown Taylor writes, whether it is a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, hope always starts in the dark. This story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and then Mary visiting Elizabeth reminds us that joy is not the absence of fear or disbelief or uncertainty or sorrow. In fact, joy exists despite all the reasons why it shouldn't. Joy always moves us toward community where it can be shared. When Mary arrives to be with Elizabeth, the Scripture says her child leaps in her womb and she is filled with the Spirit. Her joy is contagious and wraps around Mary and Elizabeth on its way out to the rest of the world until it reaches us. Joy loves company. During that stretch in Alaska, there was was an evening when I was driving home. I was uh, along a highway that is just along the inlet so you can look out and see the the ocean and the mountains behind it and and there was this this profoundly gorgeous sunset developing it was i i've never seen anything like it my whole life it it the the oranges and the reds and the pinks it was kind of bleeding over the mountain range and reflecting off the the calm waters and i pulled off to the side of the highway and others did before long People weren't bothering to even pull off the highway. We were all just there, parked, stopped in this big multi-car pileup, watching this incredible thing happen together out of our cars. This was before people had uh, you know, cameras in their pockets, right? So all we could do was experience it and experience it together. And I believe it was true for all of us there. Strangers all. That this inspiring, unique moment of awe and joy was richer somehow. More meaningful. Full of meaning. Because we all experienced it together in this weird, impromptu, joy-filled community. On the highway. That may describe us all here now as we enter this holy season together by holding out our trembling hand to receive what we could never be worthy of receiving, something that happens to us like a profoundly beautiful sunset or kindness from a stranger or a circling bald eagle. We are a strange, joy-filled community gathered in the presence of God to be surprised by joy that simply must be shared. Amen. My dad was a builder. He was a tower crane operator and other heavy equipment on construction sites for all of his adult life, working life. Uh, Everything we build, though, uh, eventually uh, comes back down, doesn't it? It it begins to decay and decline, and the old farmhouse down near Lanesboro where my dad grew up is beginning to kind of crumble down into its basement and dad's body began to uh, weaken until and, and uh, finally the time came for him to move on but the joy is the foundation the joy remains I love this theme uh, for our Advent and Christmas season together how can a weary world rejoice we can because of the good news of the gospel that has come from without and happened to us. We held out our hand knowing that we didn't live a perfect week, knowing that we were selfish, knowing that we were perhaps more concerned with our own well-being than that of others. And still we heard those words, the body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. So keep an eye out for joy. It can come unexpectedly, uh, but it can come no matter where we happen to be standing. And the world needs it. Uh, It's important. So we go with that joy. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.